want to make sure it's like this. Um, oh, she got Majin. The, the key here is that okay. like the ponder X games you were just showing something. Ooh. Ooh. What, what is, is that? It's, the, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's bone fusion. Okay, wait, wait. Don't look at it. Tell me what the card does. <laughs> it, it blocks. <laughs> Cards, your ultimate destinations for all things tabletop in Riverton, Utah. Uniting enthusiasts under one roof, we proudly showcase Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Magic, Weiss, and One Piece, a gateway into an exhilarating universe of gaming. Immerse yourselves in our diverse products, including a very squishy array of Japanese plushies and the excitement of Gashapon machines. Our expansive play area invites you to duel in epic battles and forge unbreakable bonds with your fellow players. We open our doors every day at noon, embracing a realm where cards come alive and unforgettable moments are afforded. Come join us at Kayfabe Cards. The Instant Speed Podcast welcomes back uh, a good friend of mine and a card game savant is what I'll say this time. I was struggling for how to do the descriptor this time, Majin, but that's what we got. He consistently attains the number one rank on the Legends of Runeterra competitive ladder and most recently won the Realm Brawl in Salt Lake City. Welcome back to the show, Kules Van Patten, a.k.a. Majin Bay. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. I'm glad a lot of people now think my name is Kules. Can you just sort of add the little context to this? Because I know who Kules is, but a lot of people yeah. might not know who Kules is. Uh, so my name's Caleb, <laughs> and um, I got an airline credit card. And on it, instead of Caleb, they put Kules, which is – I don't know why they did that because it's connected to my bank account. So, like, they know my name. They have my information. It's connected to my, my bank account. And then I booked a flight with it because obviously it's my airline credit card. And I never checked the actual name. And then I showed up to the airport and they're like, yeah, we can't let you on this flight. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they go, well, this this ticket's for Kules, <laughs> not Caleb. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so that's what happened. That's why people call me Kules and they think it's funny. It is funny, but... <laughs> well, when you busted that one out at a restaurant, you're like, oh, yeah, look at this. And I, and I laughed. <laughs> and then I, 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 I sat down at a keyboard, and I was like, maybe it was just like a typo. And the U and the A are like a $4 Uber ride apart. Like, they're nowhere oh, yeah. close. I don't know why, but ultimately, it just made me laugh that uh, Kules, a.k.a. Majin Bay is here with us on the show. And um, I want to get one thing out of the way. You, first of all, congratulations on winning the Thank Realm you. Brawl. Uh, never in doubt, I'll say. Maybe slightly in doubt. Just a little bit in doubt. <laughs> Just a little bit here and there. Sure. But right immediately afterwards, we were going out for dinner, right? Uh, a lot of Team Kayfabe, some, uh, some friends of ours were, were heading out to dinner. We we're going to the car and figuring stuff out. You were immediately queuing into what the legends of frontera world qualifier <laughs> just casually because you showed up to the event in salt lake city having i guess recently attained the number one competitive ladder rank 
Yeah, it's not as big of a deal as it sounds, <laughs> but that did happen. <laughs> well, I, I the person who's in number two is now hearing this and just saying, this schmuckass who just said it's just no big deal. Meanwhile, I've been spending, you know, you do this casually, like literally on a, like at dinners, on the toilet, just casually getting in the number one rank. And here you are on an escalator going downstairs to the parking garage saying, basically, I might still have a chance to qualify for the world freaking championships after you just win the Realm Brawl. I did not. <laughs> if it makes anyone feel better, I did not make it. <laughs> so but I tried. <laughs> well, you definitely tried. It was just it's just fascinating, but that escalator was not your only endeavor, right? When it comes to these random sort of back alley qualifying missions that you've had. What's the weirdest or or most obscure scenario um, where you've sort of tried to to <laughs> compete for something? So there was one at TwitchCon where I was playing day two. So I was in Top Cut um, playing for qualifications and I would have to sprint around the convention center in San Diego to try to find enough Wi-Fi to play my games. So I would be standing in a convention hall of like thousands of people, standing one spot playing my game, loose connection, and I would literally just be sprinting around the convention like this. <laughs> Trying to get enough, trying to get enough service to play my next move, and that's how I played like the top cut of this tournament. Did so you, just running around. Did you make it? I top aided. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so people. Maybe I mean, it, like this is the thing, right? Because for some people, things are just easy, and some things come. I don't want to say come easy, but it's just natural. You see the lines. It's just natural talent. This, these things exist. Whereas I just think of the dude who has literally grinded probably 14 to 15 hours a day trying to get into something and they're so thrilled that they made day two meanwhile you're like making an order for like a drink order at at like an applebee's and you know missing a turn because you you needed you know another round of shrimp poppers or something and you still get to cruise into a top eight like that yeah it's i feel that does happen a decent chunk, um, but I do I do try hard. Right? It's not like I, I I do try hard. Um, yeah. Did, did you were you keeping up with the the one in France? Well, when was Yost there? Yeah, Yost was live tweeting my run. Yeah, and no. it was like five in the morning in France post pro tour. Well, yeah, because okay, so again, you know, five in the morning in France, you're trying to like sort of wrap up something that was happening the essentially the day before. You're up till five in the morning, going from where was it like hotel room to hotel room, or where, where were you playing? Yeah, so it was like we needed to get food. So I finished. I was like, good game. My last pro tour game. I think it may have been Hayden Dale that I played in the last match, and then I pulled out my phone, queued in, and started. Like it, it. it I had like 15 minutes before, like my match started and Austin Yost and I were like, let's go get some food. So we go to a restaurant. Um, and then we find out that this restaurant doesn't have Wi-Fi, and I don't have internet service here in France. Um, so we had to like call around to a couple places. I was playing on like, I, I was using like Yost hotspot or something. Cause he had internet to play. And then Yost was like calling restaurants to see if they had Wi-Fi. And then we like ran <laughs> to a restaurant that had Wi-Fi, sat down, started eating, and I'm like playing my matches. And then we had to time it. We couldn't leave the restaurant until like my match finished. And then we went back to the hotel. And then, yeah, we just like stayed up 
and we're we had like the table was so funny because it's just us two in this like small hotel room and it's just me trying to stay awake to play my matches and there's like six empty energy drinks on the table <laughs> the worst part wasn't playing the games the worst part was you play your game you'd finish in 30 minutes and there'd be 30 more minutes until your next round started but it's 4 30 in the morning sure and you just played an entire pro tour <laughs> like <laughs> i'm so tired this is the but glamorous glamorous world of competitive card gamers that i think a lot of people don't immediately uh, latch onto where if you know having this natural talent and wanting to use it properly is exciting but then this is the the trade-off it's like you're too good you're you're qualifying for too many tournaments caleb like you gotta you gotta tone it down like learn to build birdhouses or something like have a have a hobby (laughs) that isn't that doesn't cue into other people but uh, at the same time, like it's just it's a talent, and you're successful at it. And um, winning the realm brawl, and then you know, like for example, the perfect example, like you said, qualifying for one tournament, being number one on the ladder, winning another tournament, being a pro tour while trying to communicate, like do something else. You have a skill set of playing flesh and blood. You have a skill set of playing uh, Legends of Runeterra. One of the questions from Crow says, "You're obviously very successful in both Legends of Runeterra and Flesh and Blood. What skills?" do you think are transferable between these two games? And, you know, I think I've asked you this before, but now that you're even more successful, you have more tournament wins, you have more uh, experience in Flesh and Blood, as well as continuing to be successful in competitive Legends of Terra. are you borrowing more things from both skill sets? Um, Probably. But I think I think you asked me this before, and I think I gave somewhat of the same answer. I would say, like, the biggest thing that I pull from each game is, like, the importance of having a plan in each matchup, in each micro decision, in each macro decision. Like, all of my plays are trying to, like, lead into something else. They're trying to, like, fit my grand plan of how I want this game to go. Um, and that is something that I learned in Runeterra actually uh because magic like magic's kind of easy sorry magic players no man um, but like that's that's okay. my that's my hook that's my clip that i'm putting on twitter for, for sure Do it. magic <laughs> magic's an easy game um once you start getting into like legacy format and deeper into like more eternal formats magic gets really interesting but like if you're playing standard magic you just cast your cards on curve and you win 70 percent of your games like it's really simple um I really, I really like Eternal Magic, though. I think Eternal Magic is incredibly interesting. Uh, but that was something I really struggled with because I was like a good Magic player. I was like Pro Tour player and stuff like that. Uh, and then I switched to Legends of Runeterra. Magic was my first card game. Switched to Legends of Runeterra, and all of a sudden you just like couldn't cast your stuff on curve anymore. Because if you just like cast your stuff on curve and you just spend all your mana every turn, you just lose. Uh, and I, it was enough to get me to like Masters because I was, a, I was a decent card game player. And then that was it. I was just like hard stuck, zero OP masters. And I was like, what's going on? Um, and learning some things like, hey, you have to have like, you, when you see a matchup, you can't just like play what's on board. You have to be like, okay, what, is my, what does my opponent need to have happen for them to win this game? What do I need to have happen for me to win this game? What steps, what plays push the game towards the position that I needed to be in, right? Things like that. Um, and I took that from... Legend of Runeterra to Flesh and Blood, and that has done very well for me. And I think it's more important in Flesh and Blood than in any other card game I've ever played because you make so many micro decisions, and it can it can be pretty easy. I think especially for like newer players to kind of get lost in the sauce, a little bit lost in the weeds. There's like a lot of things going on, you know, 
is it more important to take is it more important to block six damage or is it more important to attack for six well it depends on what's going like it depends on the matchup it depends on all all sorts of different factors um and i think i think that's probably like the biggest thing that i take with me from card game to card game it's a good thing to have and uh, oftentimes when i'm preparing or, or you know i i have the luxury of being able to practice with some world-class players i would not say i'm necessarily at their, that level but being being able to practice and learn from people like yourself and the other great players that we get to play with team kayfabe specifically it's like one thing that i've noted is it's initial deck design is one thing the other thing or like choosing the deck is one thing the other thing is tailoring it and the sideboard the other thing after that is knowing how how your deck and your sideboard decisions are played against a particular hero because it's not always about being aggressive or defensive sometimes these things change and depending on what your opponent does as well and that that is a skill set in itself is the discipline that it takes to adhere to those game plans and uh, the Realm Brawl, you yourself, having walked into that uh, on Icelander, it was always going to be a wizard, right? Like, there's no question about always. it. Always, yeah. Um, but you chose Icelander, a hero that you've had exceptional amounts of success with. I would argue that in, across the entire planet Earth, you're probably one of the top five Icelander players. Uh, and I think it, it's even with your humility, you're going to agree to that, right? I would give you five. I would give you the fifth spot. <laughs> that's fine. It's okay. But that's it. <laughs> that, but still, I mean, those juggle around. But ultimately, your your familiarity with the hero it, does that circumvent sometimes meta decisions. Like, for example, if Icelander might not be a, a tier one hero at a particular time, maybe it's tier you know one and a half or two. Do you just shore that up with experience and knowing that you're the best at that hero at in a particular room? Or do you ever think that eventually you're going to come off of it just to make a smarter meta-related decision? So every time I come off of something I like and am good at to play a smarter meta decision, it goes poorly. Uh, this happened at this last Pro Tour where I ended up playing Lexi because I think it was the best deck in the field. And I still think that... Um, and I afford the Pro Tour. Uh, quite possibly the unluckiest day of card games I've ever had. <laughs> but, like, that's beside the point. It went poorly. Uh, I have, like, if you if you made, like, an RPG character of me, my, like, you know, you know how when you, like, pick a race and they have, like, racial bonuses? My, like, racial bonus would be, like, plus some absurd amount. Like, plus 30% power if playing a deck he likes <laughs> minus 30% power if playing a deck he doesn't like it's like if i play a deck that i'm not having a super good time with like i i don't win like period um it just doesn't happen i like agree i was finally strong armed by like mike torque and stuff to play lexi and i went through the lexi grinder played a ton of lexi was actually seeing success winning a bunch of games and uh and having a terrible time. It was just a matter of like, I don't like the hero. I understand where it's strong. I get it that I'm winning, but at a certain point, I would have much rather been playing Oldham. I would have much rather been playing Bravo or something that I really enjoy, even though knowingly it is an inferior hero to a degree. But shoring up that difference of deck power versus enjoyment and familiarity, if you're out there knowing the ins and outs something that comfort level has to translate to something right and in your case yeah. it's definitely success w was there ever another consideration i mean i understand that like this is your thing but did any other hero potentially creep into your mind 
You want to take a guess? Is it Kano? Of course it's Kano. Well, I, I, I should group them together. I mean, between you and the other, you know, um, Council of Wizards, uh, it's it's you're like Gandalf the Bay is what you are, kind of. <laughs> That's kind of what I, I'm going to call you from now on, but you have seen incredible amounts of success on Icelander, most recently beating Pro Tour winner, though the same Pro Tour that you owe Ford was won by the player that you beat, which was Michael Fang. Mm-hmm. Does that, that was a really good game. It was an excellent game, and I'm wondering, do any of these victories that you see get a little bit, a little extra juice on them kind of when you're beating somebody of the ilk that is the sure thing, Michael Fang? Yeah, I mean, it does, but probably not for the reason you think. I don't go home and think, oh, I beat Michael Fang. Right. I don't go home and think like, oh, I'd be Michael Hamilton. Um, I usually go home and think like, wow, I really liked that line I took in that game. This game was really tight. And this decision, I think, made a world of difference for me. I'm really glad that I ended up doing that. Like, I think in the Michael Fang game, uh, I sit on Channel Lake Frigid for like five turns in my arsenal uh, through like multiple three of a kinds or something. I just don't cast it. Um, and I think that decision led to like a lot of success in the game for me uh because the three of a kinds ended up like not really adding a bunch of pressure based on like game state um he probably would have been able to cast arrows anyway and like things like that so it's not so much like oh yeah i beat michael fang it's like oh i found a good line in a really tough game um that kind of stuff that's That's what i take home well that's it's like a great thing to take home because a lot of players will go home and just sit and lay with the the sort of over you know overlording this haunting feeling of not i took this great line it's i i took this bad line or i made this poor decision do you is this something that you worked on over time and again you play card games for a living and and eventually it's it's easy to get lost in that bad feeling of going home and having that that dark cloud follow you of i can't believe i did this and like i've been there and it sucks it, but i don't have the same stakes as someone like you where you know or there are players out there whose whose careers depend on on results i am lucky enough that my career does not i still play competitively i like it but it's easier for me to shake off a bad decision where you know i may start in, in a rare field like for example the pti that i did really well in. i every time that i was playing a game it felt there was to me it was there was no stakes because i was doing it for fun but as i kept winning eventually it started to you know creep in and when i lost in the finals i lost in the one thing that i i i that i had to actively push was trying to pick out elements within that entire tournament where i could have done something better for example and the one stupid thing is is there's that one amulet or something in monarch that provides arcane barrier one and mm-hmm. I passed that thing like three times, and I ended up losing to 16 unblockable arcane damage. And in my head, I was like, if I had just drafted that, I would have probably won this game. And but I can't, like, I can't sit on that. But it's easier for me to sweep under the rug because it doesn't matter. For you, was it a process? Was it something that you had to actively, you know, discipline yourself to say, don't think about the bad. Let's let's shift to the good. You know, recognize the bad, learn from it, but we want to dwell on the good things. Was that an, an active, uh, you know, adjustment you've you've had to make? It's something I always make. It's something we like I, I do every single day. Um, like in your spot, obviously, it's easy to be upset and be like, oh, I'd lost to 16 arcane damage. But like 
what really happened is you lost the 16 arcane damage and you learned how to beat it next time, right? Like, now you're ready. Now you're going to see that card and be like, mm, none of these are making my deck, but this card, that's a really good sideboard slot. Um, Riot, Riot's systems are, like, LP-based. Um, so, like, in Lungeon of Terror, when you win a game, you win LP. That's, like, the ladder points or whatever. Uh, we like to call them learning points. <laughs> so, like, instead of losing 20 LP, you spent 20 learning points. <laughs> right. It's so like, wholesome. <laughs> yeah. It's it's something that we, like, push a lot. And this is one of the reasons why I have so much success with things I like and do not have success with things I don't like is that when I lose with a deck I like, I'm enjoying myself and I go, okay, here's, like, I could have done this better and I could have done this better. I'm spending my learning points or whatever. Um but when I play, like, how do, how do I keep, how do I, when I play this matchup again, how do I keep the game from going in that direction kind of stuff? Uh, but when I play a deck I don't like, I'm not spending learning points. I'm just losing LP because I'm not there to get better. I'm not there to learn. I'm just here to win. And if I don't win, I get upset because I'm gaining nothing. I'm just wasting time. Right. And so like, yeah, it's just, it's so much easier for me to get into that, like learning mindset with something that I enjoy. Uh, and it's so difficult for me to do it with things I don't enjoy. Uh, even now, I get like I'll get really tilted if I'm playing things that I that I don't like. Like when I was playing Lexi, things don't go your way, right? You draw an all red hand when your opponent has like Channel Lake Frigid. Um, all you need is a three block, and you draw all two blocks. You three of a kind and no, no arrows or whatever. And I'm just like, God damn it, <laughs> right? Like this sucks. Uh, whereas like if I'm playing Icelander and that kind of thing happens, I go, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> How can, I go, that sucks. How can I make this work for me? Right. But like, yeah, when I'm playing a deck, I don't like, I'm playing only to win. And when winning isn't happening, I get, I get upset. I get frustrated. Um, I don't know about you, but when I've, sorry, I'm just totally rambling. No, dude, uh, that's what we're here for. Trust me. When I finish a tournament. Because you usually finish by getting knocked out, right? You usually don't finish by winning. Uh, when I get knocked out, I'm really upset and bitter for like 20 minutes. I give myself like 20 minutes to be just like, just a bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'd had this and they had to hit that. And then everyone, all of my friends would ever go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so unlucky. And then after 20 minutes, I'm just like over it. Yeah. But for that first 20 minutes... I get really upset. But it's, Does that happen to you? Well, it to me, it's like it used to happen to me um, where because a lot of the my situations, and you can ask anybody who used to watch me stream, and everybody says they're un, the unluckiest player. But I, I would never bring attention to it that I was unlucky, and and I'm like, I'm not going to be the one to have people try to seek out my unluckiness to evaluate whether me saying I'm the unluckiest person is true or not. I'm going to let them decide and I'm just going to let it happen. And people would submit me decks and be like, this has been crushing it. And then I would be like, sure, let's play it. So I'd play it. This was a lot of, especially in Gwent. And they'd be like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying. I'm, I'm a top 200 in the world player. I'm not a scrub. Like I know what I'm doing. So why isn't the deck running and working? And everybody would say this like, well, you just got exceptionally unlucky. I'm like, okay, let's let's roll it back and then go and go and go and go. And I would get upset because my it's it's like you could plan, you could practice, you could do you could set yourself up, you can know all the matchups inside out, but if you don't draw your silver bullets that you purposely put into the deck to win particular matches, if you just don't draw them, that's not on you. Like that's just bad luck and it happens. And I've learned that and this is this ties in so intimately with mental health is that if 
if I let myself get beat up by those losses, it, it, it bleeds into dangerous territories where I start to think of maybe I don't deserve to win because I'm a bad person or I did something wrong. And I know that sounds absolutely asinine and it has no, there's no correlation at all. But that's what, that's what depression does is that you begin to think that you don't deserve to win. And that, and it's the, it's the universe balancing itself and says, no, it's for something you've done somewhere else. It sounds stupid. It is whatever. But once I started to work through and work on my like mental health and depression issues, I've learned that no, it's it's not it's not that. Sometimes these things happen, and I've started to open up the the blinders to be like, yeah, but remember when I drew that those three blues and a crippling crush when I really needed it, or do you remember when you know all I needed was um, like, and it's happened where I'm like. I'm doing an attack. I've got some spare resources. There's a card in, in the arsenal. I'm going to pitch a blue, cycle my arsenal, and hope that I draw a red pummel with Oldham to like tr- really try to seek out. And it's happened. And it's like, wow, okay, those things all balance out. It's just I've, I've worked on it prior. And, I, again, if I, I think I, if I had the capability to win big tournaments like Battle Hardens and whatever, it might be a little bit more, you know, a f- What's the term? It might be a little bit more nasty to deal with, but the fact is, it's like I don't put those expectations. You win tournaments, like to a degree. I, I mean, you you don't travel and go to these tournaments because you want to finish seventeenth. Like you go to these tournaments because you want to hit the, t- the the top table, right? So mm-hmm. it's it just feels difficult um, altogether when you have this pedigree of success and having going 04 or having a bad luck draw like i guess to a degree you have to lean on heroes that you like because i would imagine losing with icelander is a much more pleasant experience than if you like austin who brought reinar to the to the blitz battle hard <laughs> just didn't get there <laughs> yeah it's a tough thing um let me ask you this then because I, I wanted to sort of touch on this later but i think it's worth talking about now if icelander living legends and you go to kano because I'm assuming that's where you'll naturally land. And Kano's just awful or doesn't work out in a particular meta. Do you just stop playing? And this is, I say this because I think this is a legitimate concern that has been brought up by people like Dave Rude and whatever and has seen it at his stores is that when a hero living legends, the association that players have with particular heroes and their devotion to those heroes, they don't necessarily have an easy fallback. So they just quit. You think that that's something that is a concern? Um, yeah, yeah, because like if Icelander LLs out, the only reason I play Icelander over Kano is I one, I think it gives me a better chance of winning, and two, I like to play long games. Um, I think Kano's more fun, I, but I just like to play Wizard. Uh, and so if Icelander rotates out and Kano's like unplayable, we're talking like D tier hero, right? I probably would just not play Flesh and Blood until there was some suitable replacement. That's that, but that's that's a like a that is a dangerous sentiment. It happened with Prism. Mm-hmm. Dave Reed was yeah. telling me he's like when Prism ro- rotated out, he's like, you know, there's a few people who just showed up to the store and said, "What can I get with for all this Prism stuff?" And they're like, "Oh, you want to trade?" He's like, "No, I'm just I'm out." <laughs> like just out. Yeah. yeah, it's dangerous. It happened to like Dalen Mack. You know, Dalen Mack kind of stepped away a little bit and and such. And that's the threat now because. Icelander won Battle Hard in Cincinnati, won Battle Hard in Chicago. It won battle, uh, the Calling Birmingham. Uh, and he just scooped. I think he could have just 
let Pablo win again? Well, there's no LL points associated to the Realm Brawl yet. We don't know what next year is going to bring, but you are you're up against it. And this is a decision that you might eventually have to make. Now, you have a fallback plan, which is Kano. But, I mean, this, this is a, a significant thing that LSS might have to address. And I, like, I don't know how they do it. Because, like, for example, in Overwatch... Oh, and people who play Overwatch and are one tricks, if that hero gets nerfed and it's just no longer fun, people don't be like, oh, let's find something else. It's they just quit. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 tough when you have something that you like. Like Rune Terra is my job, right? Like I'm full time streamer, full time YouTuber or whatever for Legend of Rune Terra. Um and like for the last five, six months. No, sorry, for the last like three months. What I've enjoyed playing has not been good. Um, and that's been very, very tough on me. Because, like, normally I would just go play something else. But, like, I can't because this is my job. Um, so I really struggled. Uh, I've struggled to, like, put out content. I've struggled to continue playing and competing and stuff. It's really tough. And, I, yeah, I totally see that happening in Flesh and Blood as well. I think, like, as we get farther down the line, we'll have more things that are, like, secondary and tertiary um heroes for various like classes and archetypes that we like currently don't have but yeah right now it's rough like prism rotated what are you supposed to do there's nothing there's nothing similar to it yeah Yeah. until droma i mean droma came out and you can kind of like make an iris droma build which was really bad it was terrible (laughs) and uh, i know a lot of people swore by it and i said i will entertain the thought when i see it anywhere in any kind of competitive environment succeed but it's i want to i want to ask because you brought this up and i think that it's worth talking about is that in the content creation sphere this is a danger that a lot of people have to rely on where if somebody doesn't like something they can move on because their livelihood and their their careers don't depend on it um when you know when when legends of runeterra is just not good or it's in a in a state where what you enjoy about it is bad and not succeeding it what i think a lot of people don't get is that as popular as you may be or as likable as you are there is it's very often difficult to take uh take that viewership take that that popularity and transfer it over to something else um, you may be popular in Runeterra, but if you're averaging, you know, a thousand viewers a stream on Runeterra and you say, let's take this to Hearthstone, that becomes what, 200, 300 viewers? Like, it, yeah, that it drops a lot. It, that's, and that is an immediate, like, imagine getting a 70% pay cut and saying, we don't know when this is going to go back. Like, it's, that's the kind of stresses and realities that occur. How do you, how do you get through that? Because uh, there's a lot of content creators who their their struggles are like the startup of building that, but the maintenance of it too sometimes means that you have to go through the trenches and play games that are y- you are not enjoying at a particular time. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I'm very fortunate. Um, when I switch games, I keep about like I've been playing TFT lately, a decent chunk on stream, and I keep about fifty percent of my viewership. Which like if you're not <clears throat> involved in the streaming world. You'd go like, oh my god, you lose 50% of your viewership. <laughs> but if you are involved in the streaming world and you've seen people who only stream one game switch, you'd go, oh my god, you keep 50% of yeah. your viewership. <laughs> right? Uh, so I am very fortunate in that, that like, if I, if I really need to, if I'm like, oh my god, this is just not doing it for me. Like, I'm tired of this. I can't do this anymore. Or like, um, 
I just want to make a switch for whatever reason that I like I can. Uh, it would be difficult, but I can, and that it's that's a pretty big weight off my shoulders. I was really worried about that for like a while. I was like, what happens if Runeterra goes down? Like, would people want to watch me anymore if I switch to something else? And I think like I've had success in Flesh and Blood, and people like to see my Flesh and Blood stuff. Um, people tell me that they watch my Runeterra stuff, even though they don't play Runeterra. You know, like when I play TFT, people still enjoy that, even if they don't play TFT. Like, I like to think that people watch me because they like me, right? But that's what every streamer wants to say. Uh, so I, I am hopeful that I could make it somewhere else if I needed to. And it takes a lot of stress off my shoulders. It's good, and exactly. It's the fact that a lot of those applicable skills, I always tell people that reputation is the number one currency in any kind of content creation. You know, you could have a flash in the pan success, but if you're a piece of shit, like people are eventually going to find out and then it comes back to haunt you. Um, it's in it, it, and it translates well. It sort of converts well reputation from one thing to another. And I think that that's something that you've cultivated very well. And I know that you're, I don't say you're careful about it because when you say that, there's sort of an insinuation that you're trying to hide I'm something. Manipulating? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that you're, that there's something behind the curtain, but I, in reality, there there isn't. And I want people to understand that. Um, Majin Bay in person is just Majin Bay on stream and whatever. And that's something that I tried to make sure that I was, I was hammering down when I started this journey many years ago. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to play a role. I just, you know, like me or, or hate me. And I have both. I mean, it's just, I just want to be myself and, and live or die by that. Um, I want to talk quickly about Icelander and Icelander's dominance because I just rattled off the past four tournament wins that she's pulled off. What do you attribute to this dominance? Because it's not like she's got anything new. There's no new toys. I mean, is it just the fact that Oldham kind of wheeled out and there's there's one less super defensive stalwart hero for you to deal with? How how has this you know this resurgence of Icelander? Uh, what do you attribute to it? Uh, the older matchup actually quite good for Icelander. One of its better matchups. Um, so that was like kind of a blow losing that. Wizard loves to see Guardian, as I'm sure you're aware, being like a Bravo player, an olden player, right? Um, it's honestly like if you look at the the actual like percentages of how Icelander's doing matchup to matchup wise, it's like fine. You know, it's just fine. But the people winning these events, like Mezzo, Rhea, um, and I are like super specialists. This is all we do, right? Like we both picked Icelander and we play Icelander and that's it. And the thing about Icelander is, um, I had a really good conversation with someone about this. I don't, I don't remember who it was. Uh, I think it was Michael Fang actually. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's watching this and going, "Mm -mm." but (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was Michael (laughs) Fang. And we were talking about it and we were talking about Icelander and how, if you, um, if like with Icelander, it's really, really tough because if you misplay against Icelander, you'll lose in seven turns and you won't even know how. Right. And it's the same thing with like playing Icelander. It's like if you misplay with Icelander, you miss six damage here and you didn't set up for your kill turn correctly and you took extra damage than you should have. But like, but the way you misplay, it's not very obvious to you immediately. It can be something like you arsenaled the wrong card and it didn't gain you as much tempo as possibly something else could because a lot of Icelander stuff isn't just damage, right? You have things like channeling frigid, you have like cold snap polar blast. You have a lot of things that like their value isn't immediately apparent 
And so if you decided to send an attack, instead of blocking a little extra and coronets peaking, and you take a lot of extra damage because of it, well, was it worth it? Like, these are the kind of things that you, you only find out through, like, a massive amounts of games. And so I think the Icelanders that you're seeing winning these tournaments have put in these massive amounts of games. Obviously, there's a little bit of, like, variance. It is a card game, so, like, we're just spiking, right? You know, like, I won the tournament. I'm not an idiot. I know how card games work. I had to get lucky to win a tournament. You have to be lucky and play well to win a tournament. That's how it is. Um, so, like, I don't think you'll continue to see Icelander win every single event. I think you'll continue to see Icelander do well in the hands of experienced pilots, because it's very difficult to navigate some of these matchups if you don't have the experience, particularly the Lexi matchup. Very difficult. Um, so I don't think she's like super duper dominant or anything. I don't think she's the best deck in the room. But I think people who really, really put a lot of the time into her will see success. That, that is what I want to kind of bring up here too. And this is what I, I have this discussion a, a lot. When people see me on the floor of tournaments or whatever, a lot of the time they ask me, especially now about Icelander. I got asked about Icelander. What, you know, what do you think about Icelander and, and Icelander being OP? And I'm always first to sort of snuff out the fires of people saying she's OP, she's broken, she's this, she's that. Because what that does is it takes away a lot of the credit to the people who put the work in with the hero to win with the hero. And, it's a complex hero. It's a very layered and calculated hero. It's one that doesn't offer much margin of error. You taught, you tried to teach it to me. We sat for hours of you explaining to me how to play it. And I like to think that I'm a pretty good student at something. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? There's way too many opportunities and pitfalls for me to just lose a game off of what I think is an insignificant decision. I block with card A, I should have blocked with card B, or I should have blocked not blocked at all. And that one little micro decision, like you said, cascades throughout the match where I I now missed three or four damage that I could have, like you said, put my opponent in a range where I could have storm striders, nodes, do all this stuff and just and just blast them down. Do you think that there is this I wouldn't call it disrespect, but there's this lack of appreciation for people like yourself, like Rhea, who who put the time in to win with these heroes and to put so that when they go to these tournaments on their specialty heroes that are are not easy outs. Like Icelander's not a, a, a hero that you can just say, here's my turn, this is my plan, I'm doing this much damage. Because you don't know. There's uncertainty in terms of how they're gonna manipulate manipulate and disrupt your own turn. This a lot of this goes to the experience of the the person piloting the deck, and when I hear somebody say the, that the hero's OP, that to me it just it just discredits the person who's playing it. Do you ever feel like at a certain point you're like, yeah, but I'm just I like put in the same amount of hours I did, and then and then talk to me about it. Yeah, that happens every now and then. Um, I get the one that gets me is when like you make a good play or you play a really good game and then like someone be it your opponent or someone watching just says like oh he just got lucky <laughs> or like oh your opponent just got unlucky you're like well i come on man like <laughs> maybe i was fortunate or whatever but like it it feels like it does feel like that it feels like they're just discrediting your accomplishment or whatever um and that happens i try not to let it get to me too much it usually doesn't uh i think icelander is is kind of one of those heroes that like it's not immediately apparent how much consideration goes into like various random things. Um, like maybe you arsenaled uh, Aetherhale when you needed to arsenal Cold Snap and you lost the game because of it. 
and like it's not immediately apparent why one of those would be better than the other. Um, maybe you just sequenced it wrong, or like, or honestly, just like just sequencing it correctly, it doesn't look like anything when you're watching it. If you don't like really, really understand what's going on with Icelander or with your opponent's deck, the way you sequence your Frostbite, whether or not you you hold it for another turn, or whatever, like these are these are smaller decisions, but they really add up. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you don't see it and you just go oh they're just casting their card and that's that's not how it works that's how i felt when you were teaching it to me and i, I remember tra- taking it to stream and at a certain point i just realized i'm like okay they do their thing respond to their action and go but at my same time i'm like if i respond too early then they can retailer their turn to be you know to change their plans but if i wait a little bit and frostbite them with one float that means that they're not going to hit their Rosetta Thorn or whatever. So it, it is definitely um, a matter of Icelander being a hero that requires a lot of repetition and a lot of practice because you're playing within so many greasy margins that other heroes don't have access to. I play Guardian, dude. Like, my biggest problem is making sure that I have a you know a two to one blue to red ratio. Otherwise, Clark Jensen is going to message me and tell me I'm an idiot. I say that with all love and respect. Clark is somebody who has taken a lot of his own personal time to make sure that I represent the hero, not like an absolute circus. But I love him to death. He's awesome. Um, but that's the one thing. And like a lot of times, that that whole conversation of of OP versus strong or whatever, the the aggression in people's voices or their their tweets or whatever when it comes to a, when Icelander wins an event or does well or they lose to it to me it's like okay are you mad that the hero is over overtuned and overpowered or are you mad that somebody better than you hasn't figured it out yet to beat it you know like is that is that the whole thing because good players if it was OP it would be Starvo meta where everybody was playing it or the remedy to it, but that's not the case. It's just out there. It's not overpopulated. It's not It's not even sometimes in the top five most represented heroes at a tournament. It's just that those who do represent it have put the time in. And if you're not willing to put the time in to A, learn it and win with it, or B, play against it adequately then that's on you. That's not on LSS to ban cards as cho- as, for, as training wheels for you to learn how to ride on your own. Um, but if there were bans, if there, do you, do you, first of all, do you feel like that the hero is slightly overtuned? Like you mentioned that it's not the strongest deck in the, in the room, but are there cards or, or things that need to get addressed for it? Or is it just a matter of, of just saying, look, just learn to play against it? Yeah. Uh, no, I do not think anything needs to get banned about it. Um, well, you I do say that because you, you keep winning with it. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's some bias there. You have to recognize. <laughs> a yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, it's my deck. I don't want things to get banned. We've already gotten hit with bans. It's like it feels. I like to think I'm a really good judge of like when things feel too powerful, and I can be like, "Oh, this deck is the nuts," right? Or like, "This is too good." And Icelander doesn't feel too powerful. It feels very good. It feels like top three hero, but I wouldn't say it's the most powerful. It is quite strong. Um, there are some matchups that are very good for you. Like the Bravo matchup is like very good for you. Uh, but then on the flip side, like I have, I have a Bravo local. His name's Patrick. Patrick took second at the, uh, world's calling on Bravo. Patrick and I played probably like 50 times throughout various events. And I win the vast majority of the time. So much so that he like wrote off Icelander matchup completely. He's like, I can't beat this. I just can't beat it. Uh, and then in his calling run, he smashed through like five Icelanders in a row. 
And that was shocking to both of us because we both thought, based on our practice, this matchup's unwinnable for Bravo. How do you ever win? Right? And then he just like kept winning, 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 winning. And what he told me later was he's like, you just play the matchup differently than like other people were playing the matchup. And it made it so much easier for me. Um, and that's the kind of thing that like makes Icelander good. Right? It's like knowing how to... I also don't want people to hear this and be like, wow, he's just sitting here tooting his own horn thinking he's so cool. Wow. Uh, but like, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's, like, that's the kind of thing that makes Icelander good. Like you need to know out the gate how you need to play a matchup and like what's really important and where you need to sequence and what your opponent can do at all times. And I think a lot of the other heroes aren't quite like that. Some of them really can be. But like when you're playing the Icelander Dromai matchup or the Icelander Lexi matchup, like you need to know exactly what your opponent can do all the time. Um, and that's though the people who know that are the people seeing success with Icelander. For the most part, over the last four weeks, like people who don't play Icelander aren't playing Icelander. The people who play Icelander are Icelander players. I think that will change as we get into Nats now that Icelander has been like consistently seeing success. Um, but that was kind of my takeaway. You know, like Ray has been playing Icelander for literally forever. This arcane Icelander build is not something that's like just popped up. Ray has been playing this forever. <laughs> I like every month I just check to see what Mezzo is playing. <laughs> You know, like for the last year or whatever. Well, that's that's the other aspect of it is that it's there's two different builds right now. There's the uh, there's sort of the bullender that Michael Hamilton made famous and and refined for so long. The one that you you play. There's uh, Reyes build, which is you know this arcane blasting you kind of just you're unprepared for it whereas you may come in with a b two or three which can kind of get you there but when it's just these consistent like red ice bolts red ice bolts and and, and you can't blast through it is there a, a better build or in terms of in your opinion or is there um I mean, there's definitely merits to both. Reyes won two tournaments with it. Uh, you've won a tournament with this as well. Bullenders won two tournaments with it. Um, which are there? Are there builds that operate and and are more effective in certain metas, or do both? Or is it just a matter of preference? Um, it's a bit of a preference. I think. I think Rhea would agree with me. I think. Feel free to sound off in the comments if you don't agree. I think most players would agree that Bullander is the objectively better build. Like, in a vacuum, Bullander is the better deck. Um, Arcane Icelander is more what I would call exploitive, where it's looking to exploit certain weaknesses in the format and in various decks, right? Things like Icebind, Encase, Warmongers are very, very good against, like, Alexi Azalea format. Um, but if you were playing against Oldham or Bravo with AB3, they don't care about your encase, right? It doesn't, it's just a bad card. Um, whereas like Bullander is really able to just do a pow a more powerful thing more consistently. Uh, so I, I, I think Bullander's the better deck. I think in certain times, Arcane Icelander can be much better positioned, if that makes sense. So it can be the better pick, even though it might be s less powerful on paper. Um, is is how I look at it. Right now, I'm a big Bullander fan. I think you were there when I like built Bullander. I was malding that I couldn't play Wizard as much as I wanted to, uh, and that Icelander wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And then I, it was at US Nats, and I saw Michael Hamilton on the feature match, and I saw him cast Bull, Wounded Bull, 
And I was like, oh my God. It was like a eureka moment in my mind. I was like, holy shit, my man's figured it out. And I went to Tannen, Tannen Grace, and I was like, Tannen, get me this deck list. <laughs> and then I went and like bought all the cards <laughs> that day on site so I could play side events with it. Uh, I've loved Bolander ever since. I, I do think, I think like you can prepare for Arcane Icelander and like really beat it if you want to. I think Bolander will always be able to outpunch you sometimes. Like, I don't think if, if you built a deck to beat Bolander, I think Bolander would still beat you sometimes. If you built a deck to beat Arcane Icelander, I think Arcane Icelander would win much less. It's yeah, I think it's easier just to sort of slow down something. You walk in with like A B three or four, it's gonna be a lot easier to get through. Um aside from that, do you think that like you mentioned that like, don't touch uh Icelander at this point because and I, I tend to agree. Yeah, well, please. I mean, she's already got a bunch of things banned, like amulets banned. What else is banned for? Hypothermia. For, yeah, hypothermia. Like, I mean, those are strong cards. The amulet, I guess, is just sort of a, a helpful thing. But I think people are just fed up of ice and fed up of having their game plans kind of, you know, screwed up. It's the same. I see, you see this in every single card game, the same kind of criticism when a deck messes with your game plan then you get pissed off because you think you could walk in there and solitary your game plan and not have to worry about it. It's like, no, there's, it's a two-player game, and that's the... This isn't, you know, uh, Pokemon. This isn't Lorcana. There's interaction on both sides of the field at all turns. Icelander just happens to be the best at doing so. Um, you know, Kato, it's like it gets it all done in one in one pocket. So you sit there and you just watch as the world burns around you where Icelander it's I have a plan I have the exact amount of resources I want to I want to use it, like it's to the point where sometimes I've got like this beautiful hand I'm like do I even tear asunder here like or am I wasting my turn you know so it's it's a it's a really uncomfortable position to be in but it doesn't mean it's illegal it doesn't mean it's overpowered it means the players who have put the time in to understand the matchups going back to how we started this conversation where you're talking about success often you know is derived from preparation but part of that preparation is of your opponent's lists and having a plan into it do you have a matchup that you are not comfortable with um i don't play azalea i don't play against azalea there's no azaleas locally I've only played the matchup once. So, like, if I went into that matchup, I'm not super comfortable. I could kind of figure it out. But, like, yeah, I'm not super comfortable. I played Icelander Lexi, like, a lot against some, like, very strong players. Um, so even though that matchup's not good, I feel more comfortable in it. It is uncomfortable because, like, if you mess up, they just kill you. <laughs> and that sucks. But, like, it's, yeah, it's it's kind of comfortable ground. I don't want to play against Azalea. So... You're you're saying Icelander is not broken. It's not overpowered. Mm. Maybe the players playing them are overpowered. Are there any heroes in your mind that are quote unquote broken, or is there any interaction or card that you feel is just needs some a sort too of much. yeah? Um, I actually think that everything's in a really good spot right now. I think there's like a lot of things you can play. I think Lexi's the best deck by like a full step, but it's a card game. There's going to be best decks. And I think like, I think formats where there are a best deck is actually better than an objectively balanced format, which is probably just the hottest take on the planet. That's pretty but spicy. Like, I know. So we, we recently had an objectively balanced format in legend room Terra, and it was just the most boring thing on the planet. It was just a bunch of bad decks. <laughs> like it was not fun. 
like you gotta say like at a certain point it's nice to see a katsu on stream or something like that but when they get outclassed like at a certain point the upstarts that are out there kind of crushing for example at pro tour baltimore when team poland showed up a lot of them were on katsu and i was like what why and they're like well you know what sometimes it's just fun to play katsu and we think it's a good deck we don't think it's the best deck and you know like there were some out there that were doing good things we've seen i think it was like was uh one of the Battle Hardens had a bunch of Katsus. Uh, was it Calling yeah. Birmingham, I think, maybe have had one that made it to the top eight? I mean, there's something there. But you're saying, if I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, that good metas will have these sort of spearhead heroes that everything falls in line behind? I think so, yeah. Or a triangle. That tends to be very popular as well. Like a matchup triangle, right? This beats this, beats this, loses to this, 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 whatever. Um, I think that like really helps because that's when you get to see this off the wall stuff. Or like Team Poland brought Katsu because they're like, yeah, some of our matchups aren't great. We don't beat Icelander and we don't beat Old Him, but man, are we like really teched into Lexi. And I think that's cool. I think that's fun. It breeds innovation. When everything's mid, like nothing's exciting. The new deck this week or whatever is just another mid deck. <laughs> and yeah. that's like not very fun. You beat some stuff, you lose some stuff, whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I actually really like formats like this. And you'll see, you'll see like decks tech against Lexi, and Lexi will tech back, right? Like um, right now, the thing is like Lexis are playing trench because they don't want to lose to Warmongers and in case and stuff like that. Uh, but now, like, do you even run those cards? If the Lexis are going to run trench anyway, do you even bring them? Um, that kind of stuff, right? The meta's like the meta's adapting, and then something else will come out that's good against Lexi, and so Lexi has to adapt against that. But because it adapted against that, now it's weak against that, and we get this kind of like natural progression of a format that i really enjoy there was uh for example when pablo put in uh Findel's fighting spirit blue in in bravo and the logic behind it being and i asked him i said is this like to me i think that this is just a matter of being able to shore up a lexi match wherein they're coming at you with five spots if you're blocking six over five you're not getting any change back yeah, yeah. yeah. but if you're blocking five and getting a life back like that's that's full value. And then I, so I, I work, I used that list. And then when I played it in uh, the super armory at kayfabe cards, I played against a, a Katsu player where I was down to one. And then I realized they're coming at me with a Kadachi. I can block that first Kadachi, gain a life. And then the second Kadachi, I can give a free wheel too that can hit me. It's like, there's so much utility. And that comes again, alongside just innovation and whatnot that is because there is a deck that needs to be beaten but kind of what you're saying also to a degree is when when you're when you're just this this triangle of this beats this beats this at a certain point the the entire tournament becomes gem roulette which is a popular term where you're like well like when i show up to a tournament on oldham or bravo if i find a dash that just wants to buckle down and pistol me to death i'm like this is a 90 10 man yeah. yeah like no matter what if this is a good a good uh, but at the same time i'm not gonna devote three three sideboard slots to like smashing good times because i'm just afraid of this matchup no it's not that's not the case do you feel like this is that that is a threat to sort of the integrity of a competitive meta where if 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 it becomes a triangle then a lot of these matchups matchups are decided before you even sit down it's just you get your pairing and you say what hero are you and you realize you're like it's going to take a christmas miracle to figure this out uh i think that is a threat in this format i don't think it is i think we're in a really good spot where like there's a lot of decks some are better into others than 
other things, um, but they all can beat each other. Like if you look at my top eight matches for the brawl, it's just what people would consider bad matchup, worst matchup, worst matchup, right? It went draw my Lexi Lexi. Uh, and I did, I did manage to pull it out. And so like, yeah, Lexi is my worst matchup, but it's winnable. This is a playable matchup. Uh, and I kind of feel this way. This might be super hot take. I kind of felt this way about Charvo stain char Charvo starvo. Char- you say Charizard. Star-vo. Yes. Yeah. Char- <laughs> Char-vo. Get it again. Starvo chain prism is that you could play any of the three decks and any of the three decks could beat any of the three decks. It was like basically a 45, 55 around the triangle. I feel like maybe a little bit more exaggerated in various points of the meta. Um, But like that, it's a bit of a bad example because those three decks were like clear above everything else. Um, But that's, I think that kind of stuff is good for, I think that's a good format because you have like, you have a deck that you maybe I really love chain, right? And then like one week, Starvo's been putting up some really good results. So I and there's gonna be le- there's less you know maybe maybe we'll see a rise in Prism players. So I want to tech my deck to be better against Prism. And then the next week I want to tech it to be better against the Mirror. And then against Starvo. And like you get to pick the matchups that you want to win. And then maybe there's a dark horse that comes out that crushes two of the matchups, but isn't very good into one. Like I think that's a more fun meta for me than a meta where I'm playing a bunch of poopy six out of ten decks. <laughs> That's that. Uh, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about uh, real quickly, which was um, Majin Bayisms, which are I think are awesome, <laughs> and I, I love to use these. Whenever I'm casting a Majin Bay match, I always like to really kind of set up this thing. I'm like, oh, you know, like I was talking to Majin Bay about pre- preparing for something, and we're discussing, you know, the importance of certain cards. Make it sound real professional, and then when I mm-hmm. actually quote you, it just falls off the rails because I'm be like, well, he really deemed this card, and I quote, booty cheeks. And yeah, this card is absolute but <laughs> yes it is just things like that it's like oh why do you what you know what's the why is this in this in this list oh well because if they play uvia i have to deal with it and she's got a big dumper and it's like like can, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some at you and i want you to kind of give me the context of what the actual term means and and use it in a phrase is that is that fair uh sure yeah okay. uh, we'll, we'll just give it a shot all right so the first one was booty cheeks so booty cheeks, if something yeah. if a card or a play is booty cheeks uh mm-hmm. what what is it what does that mean so there's there's a couple different like variations there's like booty cheeks there's cheeks and then there's straight cheeks uh that <laughs> one's the worst one uh cheeks ass something's ass it's bad so yeah <laughs> i have told people i'd be like you can't make that play bro that is that is straight up cheeks and they're like what the fuck are you saying <laughs> That's what I'm like. look i i am a communicator by trade so part of that is understanding whom i'm communicating with or communicating for so when i'm casting a match i gotta get into the majin bay see so mm. there's 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 yeah. cheeks booty cheeks, cheeks yeah. and yeah. then straight cheeks straight up cheeks all right yeah. so, so give me in it use it in a sentence when something is straight up cheeks all right um yeah, brought this new deck to the tournament. Just got slaughtered by Lexi. I I think Warmonger's recital, straight up cheeks. Just bad. It's unplayable. <laughs> okay. Um, another one is that the the use of let's go. And I let's we, go. Yeah, <laughs> we see that everywhere, but it I always attribute it to something that you would say. Give us a scenario where that would be used and what it means. Mm, okay. You activate Kano. You're behind. You hit Tome of Aetherwind off the top. 
You look back at your buddies and you give them a, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I picked that up from somewhere. I can't remember where. But there was it was some like video movie something where people would just go, let's go. And I I just copied it because I thought it was so funny. Works out. It's pretty good. I also think I heard you say that when we went out for like we were looking for a place for ramen and like they were still taking or I forgot what it was. It was something like that. But we Boba. They had like, oh, uh, no, maybe maybe I did it. I did it when we walked into a ramen place. You I don't think were there, but we walked into a ramen place and they served Boba. Oh. And I said, Yo, Boba, let's go. <laughs> okay, that that one works. Uh, the the reference of Big Dumper. Can you give us a little yeah. context of that from the perspective of uh, Flesh and Blood, please? Yeah. Um. So Big Dumper translates directly to gigantic ass, uh, which means things that have a lot of health or are very defensive in nature. Okay. So yeah, uh, you know, somebody drops a tomaltai and it stays on the board. You don't have a popper. Give us a little. Give us a little Big Dumper. Uh, you know, sentence here. Yeah, how much health does Tomatai have? Is it a five five? I think it's a, a four, five four? five. Might be a five five. five. Yeah. yeah, and I look at the scar, scar, scar for a scar in my hand. It's not quite enough because tomatai has got such a big dumper. Yeah, <laughs> puts it out of range. Oh, uh, God. Okay, perfect. Um, the next thing I want to do. Help. No, no, I, this is perfect. This is actually I'm I'm writing a book about about esports <laughs> linguistics, and I just want to make sure that I have all of my my addendum, all all of the glossaries complete. Perfect. Um, this one's going to be for our, t- our tier three Patreon exclusive. So if you haven't already, go to patreon.com slash instant speed. Give me your money. Um, but we're going to ask Majin Bay, who is probably one of the uh, the self-described top five Icelander players. I did to, not do that. To ever <laughs> that exist. <was> not me. <laughs> that was me. But if you want to hear Majin Bay's top three tips to playing Icelander, make sure that you go to patreon.com slash instant speed support the podcast at uh, tier three. Um, I want to ask you just some questions from the community, a couple that uh, rolled in. One of which is from from Greg, aka at Darth Prentice, wonderful human being in the community uh, who helps a lot of us content creators. Uh, so throw Greg some love. Asking, I would love to know if this was what you quote unquote wanted to be when you grow up or did you like study finance law or something and said, screw it, we're going to play some Lord uh, Legends of Terror. How did this come to be? Uh, I wasn't really introduced to card games until like 18 years old. I graduated high school, was introduced to Magic Gathering. Um, but I always wanted to play the game, see the world, you know, their old like catch, catch line. I I was like, oh my God, if I could be a pro card gamer, this is what I would want to do. But then when I hit the pro tour, I realized it wasn't really feasible to be just like a pro gamer. Um, and I actually did a bunch of other stuff. And then I was in the middle, I was finishing up my pilot's license to go fly for airlines. Um, when COVID happened and I couldn't get lessons because it was during COVID and my friends for years had been pushing me to try streaming, but I'd never watched streams, not even one. So I didn't really know what that entailed. Uh, and then I did really well in one legend of terror tournament, the like first seasonals or whatever. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give streaming a try. And then I won the next seasonals and I just kind of went, see, let's see how this goes. And I've been doing it ever since. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Um, next question from Travis Vice Dragons from Majin. As someone who plays a lot of Legends of Runeterra alongside Flesh and Blood, how do you feel about James's vision of never including an online client for the game? Do you think that an official client online would benefit Flesh and Blood for the long run or hurt it? Uh, this is a this is a, a topic that I think will never be put to bed until there is essentially an online client that is developed, if that would have actually happen. Um, 
and and I I think of this from the perspective of we have an online client. It's Talishar. It's just not as refined, polished, as sparkly, or official as it were, but it gets the job done. So where do you stand on this? Uh, is this a situation where Flesh and Blood is legitimately just, you know, proverbially, pro- proverbially, you know what I mean, leaving money on the table, proverbially leaving money on the table? Or is this a situation where at a certain point, sticking to your guns and that integrity is, is more valuable? Um, so I think I like the way this question was phrased because it's like, how do you feel about James vision? It's not like, do you think flesh and blood would be better? Sure. If it had an online client, um, because like, I think if we had an online client for flesh and blood, it would be much more popular. Um, I talk about flesh and blood all the time to people who play like legend of Terra in various online games. And the biggest sentiment I hear is I would play it if there was an actual online client. Uh, it's like it's just much easier. I don't have time to go out and play like even local tournaments really uh, very often. So like an online client would be very very nice for me. And I have Talishar and I play Talishar uh, when I get the time. And I do think I do think it'd be much more popular. Do I think it'd be better? That's the that's the question because like James's vision is everyone comes together, everyone plays the game, um, and that is how it feels. Like I'm much more entrenched with the flesh and blood community than I am even the majority of the Legends of Runeterra community or the Magic the Gathering community when I played that. Sure. Right? Because, like, everything's in person. If you want to play the game, you have to go play the game with these people. And you get together with these people, right? Like, you and I are friends and all the kayfabe guys and, like, a bunch of other people because we come out to these events and we play. If, it, if, it, if there was an online client, most of you wouldn't know me because I would play the online client, I'd show up to the tournament, and I'd go home. And that's so. Do I think it'd be better? I don't know. You'd have more players. Yeah, that's that's like I guess we're kind of transcending outside of the scope of things like meta and and like commercial success because I yeah. Think, <laughs> no, but I'm like, but, but it's part of it, and I think that it's an obvious yes. It would be better for the game from a commercial standpoint, from a growing player base standpoint. But then what suffers? Uh, what suffers is a lot of the aspects that are not tangible and that are not. In directly translating into revenue or financial success for the game. For example, exactly what you said. Uh, if there was an online client, I would be jamming that and no longer going to armories or even at a certain degree, probably even attending certain events if there were online versions of them. So what would suffer? Well, again, our like our friendship and like that sounds whatever but at the same time that, well, that sounded horrible <laughs> that's pretty bad <laughs> that's not what i meant but our friendship would suffer our friendship would suffer and i like how i immediately but yeah well who cares like i could play the game quickly and earn gems or whatever but i think the other casualty of that is the fact that right now we have these regional metas that are that keep things in flux if everybody had this gigantic melting pot where people were all jamming their games into one on one client Everybody is subject to the same meta, and those things get solved in a heartbeat, and then it becomes not just stale, but tournament scenes would be different, playtesting and practice. It's no longer a matter of it. There's a reason why the top eights, even though they were all won by Icelanders, were very different in terms of representation. It's because every little pocket of, of Earth here has their own ideas and regional metas that they have to prepare for and, and address. As soon as you have an online client, you're you're basically turning that those little pockets into one gigantic cauldron 
And whatever the flavor that comes out of there is what everybody's going to have to digest. And that can also suffer. But James's vision of like, let's all get together and have a good time. I think that it's the, the truth because look, I love, you know, kayfabe and, and Job and everything, but Salt Lake City is not somewhere that I would otherwise have any interest in traveling to. It's a really nice looking city, but it is a, a, a horrible place to travel to from like a logistics standpoint. And you're wedged between like Denver and Vegas that are probably better options. Um, but again, we do it because we love the game and we do it because this is how we see our friends. I tell people, I'm like, my friends live all over the world. I go to these events, yeah, to work. But to me, it's also a wonderful opportunity to maintain these friendships like the one I just threw in the garbage with you. <laughs> with that horrible metaphor. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, um, if, if I could choose, if I could flip a switch and we'd have a fully functioning, well-built online client, I would flip the switch. That but... It- yeah, there are problems with it. It's kind of like I would love to see what six months of it would do. Yeah, because we don't have like, for example, I'm really curious, like Magic always had like MTGO, right? Or they've had mm-hmm. it for a long time. There's been like an on Exactly. So I want to know what the games, what some of these games would look like without an online client, like how how that would change. Would Magic be different when it was just regional? And then there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this who played in the mid 90s to early 2000s where people weren't necessarily online jamming games and understanding metas so it was more pocket and regional but that's what we live in now uh you know because as as much as talishar has made progress in terms of gaining new players and expanding player bases they're still you know at their peak was like still under 100 games concurrently being played whereas what magic arena is at any given time there's like thousands of games being decided like it's unreal so it's crazy. It's crazy in that regard, and I'm kind of happy that we don't, but like you, I think I'm curious to see what like six months of an online polished client would do to to the culture. It might uh, be a selfish decision. I would want to have one because I would want one. <laughs> well, at the same time, I mean, like I, I stream. I stream Talishar. Uh, Talishar has made incredible strides to be more polished, more more better presented, but at the same time, it's still this tiny group of hardworking people that are doing this selflessly to improve the community. And I thank them immensely. Uh, But it's just, imagine if like, I don't know, if LSS just hired this, you know, paid millions of dollars to get this done, which I don't even think that's how it would work. I'm pretty sure it would be a developer saying, we're going to pay you for the license to do this game and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of walk away. But would it be successful? Would it be like this Lorcana-sized complete like shit show like who knows at the end of the day i don't like lorcana <laughs> <laughs> that's right all right caleb man i love you so much um one of the things that i always tell people when it comes to you is that you are one of the most genuine humble just selfless people that i've ever met in this industry where you just you like who you like and you're not out there to push any kind of agenda or anything. You're not out there trying to, you know, push your channel or push your likes or your views or whatever when you're at an event or whatever. You just want to hang out with the people that you like, doing the things you love, and that's all there is to it. And that's something that I remember when when it, we were at 
was that at Nats or something, we were sharing a hotel room and it just like, there's so many different things going on. At the end of the day, you're just like, do you just want to go hang out in the hotel room, like get a couple drinks and just jam cards and watch TV? And I was like, yes. And it had nothing to do with who was doing what, who you wanted to be seen with or who you want to hang out. It was literally, let's just do what we want to do. And I, I really appreciate that and, and respect that about you. Thanks, man. That's really nice of you to say. No worries. Okay, now you say something nice about me. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, that's not what this is about. Uh, <laughs> but, you just sit there and stare at me? You're like, And you, it's like, you know when you're out there and somebody's just like, oh, how'd you do at the tournament? And you, all you know is that it's just because you're like, I could literally say I had my, my hands sawed off and then they'll be like, oh, cool. But here's how I did. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's casual for now casual for mm-hmm. it's like cool got it awesome uh no that wasn't the case i just love you man and it's uh it's great when i get to see you even when it is just watching one piece blindly with no context oh my god that was interesting wasn't it that in itself is probably a highlight because i think that as fascinating and as joyful as it was for me to consume that episode of gear five one piece was it luffy that guy's name was yeah yeah I think that there was more joy in Austin Yost's face knowing that I was there about to get my brain riddled with anime bullets <laughs> and left for dead on the on the bottom. Uh, but I'm trying to like explain what was going on, but like really quickly before we miss anything was so funny. Yeah, he's like, okay, now here, listen, now listen. Uh, now these five guys, uh, they run the whole <laughs> thing and there's a wall that goes through the entire ocean. But if they eat this fruit and touch water, they die. Okay, look, I'm just trying to figure out the first thing, which was this... This villain who looked like a mini putt clown, uh, listening to some chick play the like the the lute, who then turned into a fireworm and ate him, and their eyes are the size of cantaloupes. I have no idea what the hell's going on, but meanwhile, this is the biggest thing to ever happen to anime ever, and I'm here for this. So let's go, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I wouldn't say it was straight cheeks, but I wouldn't say it wasn't necessarily cheeks. But the entire scenario was some was pretty let's go altogether. All right. Anything else before we go? Uh, where where can we plug your pluggables? Uh, YouTube, Twitch, Majin Bay. It's Majin Bay L-O-R on Twitch. I'm on Twitter. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Perfect. To our sponsors at Kayfabe Cards, go to kayfabecards.com to get all your singles, sealed product for Flesh and Blood and beyond. Be who you want to be at Kayfabe Cards. To our sponsors, uh, our, our supporters, rather, at uh, patreon.com, thank you so much. It's in- incredibly uh, humbling to know that you guys uh, like me enough to to throw money in a paper shredder just just for me. So that makes me happy. I appreciate you all. And I also want to say that uh, there is some Flesh, uh, flesh and Blood merch. Some instant speed merchandise at Barry Good Embroidery. The link's in the uh, comments here. If you want to get a shirt or whatever, I made sure that they're not like absorbently priced. So you can get like a t-shirt uh, shipped to you for like under 25 bucks or something like that. So hoodies are like 35 or 40 bucks. I don't know. Pretty reasonable. Yeah. Make is it that, up. Oh, is that, is that playmat on there that you showed me? The playmat is coming. The playmat okay. is coming. I ordered. That one's really good. It, they're pretty sweet. I ordered like 20 of them. Uh, and they are going to be coming by soon. So as soon as I get a hold of those, I'll be able to uh, to make that happen as well. But uh, yeah, Caleb Van Patten, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's my pleasure. Jules <laughs> Van Patten, uh, aka Majin Bay, ladies and gentlemen. And that does it for another episode of Instant Speed Podcast. Don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning. We'll see you next time on ISP.
world I work 